Chapter 8 of The Mentor 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah Balm, Cambridge, UK. The Mentor 2 by Various. Chapter 8 Holland by Dwight L. Elmendorf, Lecturer and Traveller, Department of Travel. The History of Holland 1. The history of Holland is a record of the unexpected. One might think that this flat country would have a story as monotonous as the land on which it is built, that it would be the last part of the world to be the centre of fierce battles and bloody wars. Yet there took place in this little country, formed principally of the mud deposited by three rivers, the Rhine, the Meuse and the Schelde, some of the most important deeds in the history of the world. The earliest inhabitants of this part of Europe are said to have been some of the barbarians that accompanied the Cimbri and the Teutons in their expedition against Italy. The Romans, however, held sway over this district until near the end of the 4th century, when the Franks took possession and settled there. Later, the Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne extended his supremacy over the whole of the Netherlands, and under his successors a system of dividing the land among the vassal princes gradually developed. Thus the feudal system grew up. The situation of the country on the ocean and the mouths of the three great rivers invited the people to commerce. Then, also, the big cities grew up and surrounded themselves with strong forts. In 1477 the Netherlands came into possession of the House of Habsburg, by the marriage of Mary of Burgundy, the daughter of Charles the Bold, with Maximilian, afterward emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Their son, Philip the Handsome, was the father of Charles V, who subsequently became king of Spain. Under his rule, the Netherlands enjoyed a golden era of prosperity, but during the reign of his bigoted son, Philip II, there began that apparently hopeless struggle of the weak people of the north against the haughty Spaniards, which lasted for 80 years and which ended in the establishment of the powerful Dutch Republic. The great founder of Dutch liberty was William of Nassau the Silent. Today he is revered by the Dutch as a mighty hero and martyr. It was in 1579 that the Union of Utrecht laid the foundation on which the Republic of the United Netherlands was to be raised. By the Peace of Westphalia in 1648, the independence of the United Provinces was recognised. The prosperity of Holland was great. Its navigators explored the most distant coasts in the world, and its trading posts in East India yielded a rich harvest. It had commerce with all nations, and at the same time its art reached its highest point of excellence. For many years the fortunes of the Netherlands varied from good to bad. In 1795, the French Republicans took possession of the country and founded the Batavian Republic. In 1806, Louis Bonaparte was created King of Holland by his brother Napoleon. Four years later, Napoleon annexed Holland to France, giving as the reason his belief that it was formed of the alluvial deposit of the French rivers. At last, in November 1813, the French were expelled from Holland and in 1815 by the Congress of Vienna. The southern, or Belgian, province of the Netherlands was united with the northern into a single kingdom, and the Prince of Orange was created King of the Netherlands under the title of William I. 
This union was severed by the Belgian Revolution of 1830. Ten years later, William I abdicated in favour of his son, William II, who was in turn succeeded by William III. His daughter, Wilhelmina, is the present ruler of Holland. Her daughter, Princess Juliana, was born on April 30th, 1909. William the Silent, two. William the Silent is to Holland what George Washington is to the United States. As the principal opponent of Philip II of Spain, he was the very incarnation of the national spirit in the greatest period of Dutch history. He dared to stand forth as the fearless leader of a persecuted people in opposition to the mightiest monarch then on earth. William, Prince of Orange and Count of Nassau, was surnamed the Silent, not because he was gloomy, but because he was able to hide his plans with wonderful discretion. He was born on April 16, 1533. He was a great favourite of Charles V of Spain, who appointed him when he was only 22 years old, governor of the provinces of Holland, Zeeland and Utrecht. When the Low Countries came into possession of the Duke of Alva, the Spanish governor, William set out on a short but useless campaign to liberate the southern provinces. Four years later, he was invited by Holland and Zeeland to command their troops against the Spaniards. Shortly afterward, he captured Middelburg and succeeded in raising the siege of Leiden. The Union of Utrecht, the famous defensive league of the North Netherlands, was formed in 1579. Soon afterwards, William was exiled by Philip II, but the States-General defied his authority and in 1581 formally threw off their allegiance to the Spanish crown. However, so anxious was Philip to have William out of the way that he offered a reward of 25,000 crowns and a title of nobility to anyone who would assassinate him. Many were the cowardly attacks made against the brave Dutchman, eight attempts being made before the one that finally succeeded. On July the 10th, 1584, William, in company with his beautiful young wife, was coming to dinner down the stairway of the Prinsenhof, his house in Delft. Suddenly, from the corner of the corridor, a man stepped forth holding a petition. The prince asked him to present it later when he was not busy. During the meal, William was, as usual, very cheerful, but his wife seemed to have a premonition of danger. She spoke to him several times of the strange man they had met in the hall, remarking that she had never seen a more villainous face. This did not disturb William in the least, and at the close of the meal he led the way back along the corridor. As he approached the staircase, without a moment's warning, the assassin sprang forth and shot him in the breast. The prince reeled backwards a few steps and fell into the arms of his wife. A few minutes later, the founder of Dutch Liberty had passed into history. William the Silent was the foremost statesman of his time. He gave up great position, vast wealth, and at last his life to rescue the Netherlands from the tyrannical power of Spain, and he had the satisfaction of knowing before he died that the cause for which he had suffered so much would succeed. His murderer, Balthazar Girard, was executed by having the flesh torn from his body with red-hot pincers. Amsterdam 3 Amsterdam has often been called the Venice of the North. Between the two cities there is a resemblance, but they also differ from each other essentially. 
venice is golden while amsterdam is grey venice inspires romantic memories and poetical associations amsterdam even with its many attractions is distinctly practical and commercial amsterdam is a seaport in the province of north holland it is one of the chief commercial cities in europe and the largest city in the kingdom of holland it is one of the wealthiest cities in the world amsterdam stands on flat marshy ground into which piles fifty feet long are driven to form the foundations of brick houses which are usually six or seven stories high the form of the city is a crescent and the arms of its canals project into the a amsterdam is really a city founded upon islands ninety in all it has miles of liquid streets which are spanned by three hundred bridges all through the city float heavy barges many of which are the homes of citizens among some classes of the dutch it is customary when a young man has saved or borrowed enough money to buy a huge broad-shouldered boat and install therein not only his entire family but also his poultry hogs and even cows from then on he is independent and master of his own floating house stable farmyard and express wagon he transports loads of merchandise from town to town and is in a small way even a farmer when he moors his boat to take his wares from house to house he uses a cart and to draw this cart he employs dogs when the merchandise is sold the driver calmly seats himself in the cart and makes his patient animals pull him home if he does not own a dog he merely puts the yoke upon the shoulders of his wife and she acts as a willing steed the little houses in the vicinity of amsterdam are thoroughly characteristic of holland they have sharply pointed roofs of pretty red tiles neatly painted walls and blinds and a monstrous windmill on one side within they are scoured and polished so that they almost shine with cleanliness even among the wealthy citizens of amsterdam there is not much display of luxury the houses are quite plain but always brightly clean to most people who are used to paved streets and plenty of dry land it would not be pleasant to dwell among the watery streets with their narrow sidewalks of amsterdam but to a dutchman it is impossible to have too much water about his house even with a canal in front and another on each side he will add if possible an artificial pond in his small garden rotterdam four rotterdam the famous commercial centre of holland lies fourteen miles from the north sea at the union of two rivers one of which is called the rot and with the great dam erected on its banks gives the town its name to a visitor the most notable feature of this great dutch city is its multitude of bridges most of which are drawbridges continually rising and falling like parts of a huge machine rotterdam received its first municipal privileges in thirteen forty its modern prosperity dates from the separation of belgium from the kingdom of the netherlands the largest sea-going ships can now be admitted to the quays of the town great cargoes of oil grain coffee tobacco and coal pass through it and its cattle market is the most important in holland it is a remarkable fact that in rotterdam almost every man one meets has either a cigar or a pipe in his mouth the dutch are great smokers it is said that the boatmen measure distances not by miles but by pipefuls 
many of the natives are believed to sleep at night with their pipes between their teeth so that they may have their morning smoke without any delay the hollanders call tobacco smoke their second breath and the cigar the sixth finger of their hands in rotterdam is situated the home of the greatest smoker that the world has ever known Meneer van Claes. his average consumption was one hundred and fifty grams of tobacco a day nevertheless he lived to be ninety-eight years old his directions as to how his funeral should be conducted are interesting i wish that all my friends who are smokers shall be specially invited to my funeral each of them shall receive a package of tobacco and two pipes and they are requested to smoke uninterruptedly during the funeral ceremonies my body shall be enclosed in a coffin lined with wood of my old cigar boxes beside me in the casket shall be laid my favourite meerschaum a box of matches and a package of tobacco when my body is lowered into the grave every person present is requested to pass by and cast upon it the ashes from his pipe it is said that these requests were faithfully complied with there is also a report that says that at his funeral the smoke was so dense that a horn had to be blown to enable the mourners to find the door rotterdam suffered from a great fire in fifteen sixty three and also underwent great loss during the struggle with the spaniards who occupied the city in fifteen seventy two since fifteen seventy three however its progress has been remarkable tulips and windmills five spring is the best time to visit harlem in holland the traveller to this city passes through wonderful fields covered with broad sheets of scarlet white and yellow tulips it is a sight never to be forgotten but beautiful as the tulips are it is not for this that the hollanders grow them in such quantities they grow the bulb not for the flower but for the onion as it is called the cultivation of tulips is a great business in holland but today only a small percentage of the population commercialize the flower compared to the number that cultivated it in the seventeenth century the tulipomania of that time was really a form of gambling in which admiration of the flower and interest in its culture were secondary matters in those days thousands of florins were paid for a single bulb tulips grow wild along the northern shores of the mediterranean and in africa and the far east they were introduced into the low countries in the sixteenth century from constantinople and the levant owing to their great beauty the flowers became immediate favourites in european gardens it was in sixteen thirty seven that the extraordinary tulipomania first took possession of the dutch not only were flower merchants seized with it but almost every citizen took up tulip growing a single bulb called semper augustus was sold for thirteen thousand florins and for another of the same variety was traded a new carriage a pair of grey horses and forty-six hundred guilders a prize of one hundred thousand florins offered by the horticultural society at harlem was won by the black tulip of cornelius van Barley but when the government stepped in and enforced a law against gambling the price of tulips fell to nothing the bubble burst and thousands of dealers were beggared in a single night there is an old dutch proverb which says god made the sea but we make the shore for hundreds of years the hollanders have proved this true by literally making the land upon which they live 
they must continually fight against the encroachment of the sea and a big factor in the work of keeping the ocean out is done by great windmills which pump the water from the fields into the rivers and canals and thus drain the land everywhere in holland windmills can be seen besides pumping and draining they also saw wood and grind corn although nowadays steam and gasoline engines can do most of the work formerly performed by windmills they still form a picturesque part of the dutch landscape by draining whole marshes they have transformed this wasteland into beautiful green and fertile fields in passing from the hague to haarlem on the train one can see the largest of these polders as the drained marshes are called windmills were used as early as the twelfth century in all the older windmills a shaft called the wind shaft carried four to six arms or whips on which long narrow sails were spread the tips of the sails made a circle of sixty to eighty feet in diameter it is this type of windmill with its long arms waving above the landscape that is associated so closely with holland art in holland six many people consider dutch art the most interesting in the world the artists of holland did not portray classic gods and prayerful madonnas they were too practical and matter-of-fact for that their minds were serious and scenes of everyday life attracted them more than they did the artists of italy or spain portrait painting began very early among the dutch this was because the dutch spirit was essentially commercial the prosperous burghers liked to have great artists paint them and they were usually willing to pay pretty well for the privilege also the nobility due to their love of splendour gave abundant employment to the artists some of the earlier dutch artists who achieved fame are the brothers van eyck hugo van der Goes, rocher van der Weyde, and quentin massis but greater than any of these is franz hals who was born in fifteen eighty he was a great portrait painter his marvellous capacity for catching an impression on the instant brought him many patrons he loved to paint people as they were and jolly topers and rich burghers were his favourite subjects but great artist though he was he died almost in poverty rembrandt harmanson van rijn who was born in sixteen o seven the son of a miller of leyden has been called the greatest painter of northern europe today his pictures are beyond price his influence on the dutch artists that followed him was very great but he died at the age of sixty-two alone and neglected paul potter called the raphael of animal painters was born in sixteen twenty five and died from overwork at the age of twenty-nine it is said that he painted portraits of animals and tried to know the character of every beast that he drew jan steen painted all sorts of subjects chemists in their laboratories card parties marriage feasts religious subjects and especially children besides being a successful artist he was a brewer at delft he failed in this business and opened a tavern hence he has often been called the jolly landlord of leyden peter de hoog was the most neglected of all dutch painters yet in eighteen seventy six the berlin museum paid twenty six thousand dollars for one of his paintings he was born in rotterdam about sixteen thirty and became one of the most charming painters of homely subjects that holland has produced he died at haarlem about sixteen eighty one meindard hobbema 
was born in Amsterdam about 1638 and was buried there in a pauper's grave in 1709. Although today he is considered one of the great landscape painters of Holland, his work was not appreciated during his lifetime. Hobbemar liked to paint only landscapes. It is said that when it was necessary for him to get a figure in a picture, he had another artist do it. All these men were great artists of Holland, and it is a peculiar thing that most of them lived in the 16th and 17th centuries. Since then, Holland has done comparatively little in art. Holland has been described as a country of unpainted pictures. That is the artist's point of view, for his eye takes in the picturesque possibilities of the subject. To us, it seems as if Holland is of all countries the one most often seen in pictures, while no doubt there are many untouched pictures in the miles of level Dutch landscape. Art has surely shown a generous recognition of Holland's attractive scenery and has celebrated its picturesqueness to all the rest of the world. Holland is a country of dikes and level meadow lands, of windmills and canals. From the point of view of an aeronaut, the Dutch cities look like a map of Mars. This is especially true of Amsterdam, which viewed from above appears to be a network of canals. These canals are an attractive feature of the cities. In some cases the whole street is canal, in other cases the street is both wet and dry, a canal flanked by a street. Imagine a country, in some spots lower than the sea, maintaining its existence only by constant vigilance and industry, fighting for its very life through the changing seasons against the one great enemy, water. The dunes or sand hills which line the coast serve as a barrier against the sea. These are reinforced by coarse grass which holds the sand together. In some places the dikes are made of earth, sand and clay, held together by willows, which are carefully planted so as to form a binder. In other places, dikes are built of stone. The dikes are the fortifications against the inroads of the ocean and also the floods in the rivers that flow through Holland to the sea. When there are heavy rains in Germany, the Rhine brings down a great additional volume of water, which has to be checked by the dikes and led away by the canals. Holland's fight against water has been a warfare of varying fortunes. At times in the past dikes have been broken, great tracts of land have been inundated, and thousands of people drowned. The Dutch are a careful, plodding and industrious people, and they have profited by experience. As a result, they are now not only holding their water enemy in check, but they have actually advanced upon the sea, and have taken from it sufficient territory to add materially to their cultivated lands. But the contest with the rivers and the sea has to be constant. A special body of engineers is appointed to look after the work, and the Dutch government spends annually several million dollars to keep the dikes in order and hold the ground. Water is confined in canals and in large basins, and the ever-faithful windmill, when not otherwise engaged, is employed to pump the water from the lowlands. Dikes and windmills The dikes and windmills are the two great factors of physical and commercial life in Holland. The dike safeguards the land, the windmill fans the currents of trade. Whether corn is to be ground, timber sawed, tobacco cut, paper manufactured or water pumped, the long arms of the mill perform a willing and efficient service while the wind blows. 
the importance of the dyke is reflected in the names of many dutch towns the word dam or dyke is to be found almost everywhere amsterdam is the dyke of the river amstel rotterdam the dyke of the river rot zandam the dyke of the river zan and so on the thought of protecting dyke was generally in mind when a town was founded the windmill is not only an untiring servant of industry but is a sign of dutch prosperity as well you may hear it said of a hollander he is worth ten millions you are quite as likely to hear it said he is worth ten windmills it required dogged determination and persevering energy to make the history of holland the dutch people successfully resisted spanish domination at a time when spain was a supreme world power and then they built up a government of their own in a country where they had to fight for the very existence of the land in government administration in thrift and commercial enterprise in exploration and colonization in literature and in arts holland has proved herself to be a wonderful little country she has had much to say in the congress of nations one of her chief cities the hague is identified in everyone's mind with one of the most important world movements of modern times the international peace conference the population of holland does not exceed six million and there are only four towns having a population exceeding a hundred thousand amsterdam the hague rotterdam and utrecht amsterdam this most interesting city is situated where the river amstel enters the zuiderzee just where the city lies there is an arm of the sea which goes by the odd name of a amsterdam is the chief commercial city of holland though in some branches of business rotterdam disputes its supremacy the city is of odd semicircular shape and is intersected by canals which run in curves like the rows of seats in an amphitheatre each of these semicircular canals marks the line of the city walls and moat at different times other canals cross these in such a manner as to cut the city up into a number of islands the old part of the city lies in the very centre enclosed by the inner semicircular canal at one end of this canal is the weeper's tower which takes its name from the fact that it stands at the head of what was the old harbour and was the scene therefore in ancient times of many sad leave-takings there wives and sweethearts said good-bye to the men who went down to the sea in ships amsterdam is supposed to have originated in about twelve o four when giesbrecht the second lord of amstel built a castle there it came to be really important about the end of the sixteenth century when the wars with spain had ruined antwerp and many merchants manufacturers and artists left there and settled in amsterdam the population of the city today is close to six hundred thousand and it is one of the busiest markets in europe doing a large business in imports especially in the products of the dutch colonies the city moreover is very beautiful the main canals are lined with avenues of elms and they offer a picturesque appearance and a pleasant shade the streets are full of life and their interest is enhanced by the varied activities of those who walk and ride on the paved roads and others who ply oddly constructed boats through the waterways a city built on piles the costumes 
while not so picturesque as those to be found in the country districts are interesting to the traveller from other lands the houses are built on piles driven into the soft soil a fact that the witty old erasmus of rotterdam turned to jest by saying that he knew a city whose inhabitants dwelt in the tops of trees like rooks there are so many things in amsterdam of historic literary and art interest that no one can expect to do the city and do it thoroughly in the brief time usually allotted by the ordinary tourist for the student of art there is enough to fill a month's time the home city of rembrandt naturally holds the interest of an artist and the Rijks museum contains a wonderful collection of dutch art and historic relics Rijks museum this museum is an impressive stone and brick building constructed in eighteen seventy seven to eighteen eighty five and filling nearly three acres of ground it holds a place among the greatest museums of the world and in its devotion to its own particular subject dutch art and history it is unique it is not the lover of art alone who will find the place fascinating the historian will be held by the military naval and colonial collection the antiquarian will linger over the old works in gold and silver the models of ships of different periods antique books and furniture textiles and stained glass while the artist will regard the picture galleries as a treasure house for the artist if interested in the dutch masters of art the museum is the one particular place in europe there about him he will find some of the most celebrated works of rembrandt franz hals paul potter jan steen hobbemar and other dutch painters the picturesque old buildings of amsterdam especially those in the inner city will delight the visitor many of these have great historic interest notable among them admiral de Ruyter's house bearing his portrait in relief on its front and a little beyond that the old montalban's tower the royal palace is a solid building which was begun in sixteen forty eight just after the peace of westphalia and was finished in the course of seven years at a cost of eight million florins three million two hundred and sixteen thousand dollars it is not a beautiful building but in its structure and its inner equipments it is interesting as showing the character of dutch life and government you bring from a visit to the palace an impression of the solidity power and the enduring virtues that are the ancestral inheritance of the hollander no visit to amsterdam is complete without a sight of the zoological garden which is one of the best in europe and a trip out to the unique little island of marken there in that odd spot you will find all the picturesqueness of holland in solid deposit gaily coloured costumes are everywhere houses are queer in structure and in furnishing and manners and habits of life are peculiar and interesting but let the visitor be cautious in marken it has of recent years come to be a show-place stocked with all sorts of dutch articles of no special value most of which are manufactured solely to catch the fancy of the unwary tourist harlem on returning from marken the traveller will find it worth his while to run west to the quaint old town of harlem this is the city of the governor of the province of north holland and is one of the cleanest and neatest towns in the netherlands 
its population is something over seventy thousand and it has the appearance of prosperity and welfare during the middle ages harlem was the residence of the counts of holland and was the scene of several important military engagements between the dutch and the spaniards it is famous for its horticulture and furnishes bulbs to every country in europe and north america along about the middle of spring a wonderful sight may be seen in the land surrounding harlem whole fields of hyacinths crocuses anemones tulips lilies etc offer a brilliant variety of colour and fill the air with delicious perfume it is a feast for the senses indeed rotterdam situated about thirty miles south of amsterdam and harlem is rotterdam the second largest town in the netherlands which has a population of about three hundred and seventy thousand to some it is known chiefly as the home of the illustrious erasmus who was born there in fourteen sixty five in the great market-place of rotterdam there stands a fine bronze statue of erasmus to merchants rotterdam is known as one of the busiest import cities on the continent as in its import trade it is exceeded only by hamburg and antwerp while its cattle market is the most important in holland there is much life in rotterdam and plenty of entertainment to enliven the visitor who goes there for other purposes than those of trade boyman's museum contains a most valuable collection of dutch art and the churches parks and public ways are attractive and interesting down at the large docks you will find busy scenes at the Wilhelmina Kader especially where the great passenger steamers lie you will meet that name Kader wherever you go in the towns of holland it means quay and the different thoroughfares distinguished by the name are either quays or else have been quays in times past and in the course of the city's growth have become streets with waterways in them you will be impressed with the vast multitude of bridges in rotterdam i do not know that they actually exceed in number the bridges of amsterdam but they appear to for many can be seen from almost every point of view the service of the canal to holland is manifold and this is true in winter as well as in summer over the frozen surface of the canal children skate to school women skate to their shopping and those who have time for recreation skim the icy surfaces from town to town in skating trips the hague there are many towns in holland to invite the traveller and most of them will delight him as well this is especially true of utrecht dordrecht and delft the last famous the world over for its pottery it is well however when making a visit to holland to save the hague until the last the hague is the political capital of holland and in some ways the most beautiful and interesting of all dutch cities it is a most cosmopolitan town and its population includes many distinguished people among the cities of holland the hague leads in culture and refinement as amsterdam and rotterdam do in commerce it is moreover the most attractive city in neatness and in cleanliness it is claimed that the hague cannot be excelled by any city in the world you are willing to believe that when you are there the house in the wood the full dutch name of this city of royalty is a schravenhager which means the count's enclosure the name was given to it originally when it was a richly wooded plain and a hunting resort of the counts of holland it is now the residence of the queen of holland and the seat of government 
where most of the important national transactions of the last three hundred years have taken place. There is no great amount of business at The Hague. It is a place of important political affairs and of social life and enjoyment. The life there is distinguished for its gaiety and the society for its distinction. Great interest naturally centres in the house in the wood, a most picturesque chateau erected in 1645 for Princess Amalia, consort of Prince Frederick Henry, son of Henry the Silent. This is the favourite home of royalty. The most interesting apartment in the palace is the orange room, which was prepared by the princess as a memorial to her husband and has been the scene of many important diplomatic and social events. The first international peace conference, at which 26 powers were represented, met in this room in the summer of 1899. The house in the wood is beautifully furnished and decorated, and, more than the usual royal residence, it realises the meaning of the word home. Attractions of The Hague The population of The Hague is more than 240,000, and it has, besides the house in the wood, a number of notable features. There is the celebrated picture gallery called the Mauritz House, the Municipal Museum, which next to the Reichs is the finest in Holland, the Mestach Museum, which contains, among other art treasures, a fine collection of pictures by the Barbizon painters, and the Steengracht Gallery, which is rich in modern French and Dutch paintings. The quaint old hall of the Knights will attract attention for its historic interest, and so will the beautiful and imposing national monument, which was set up in 1869 to commemorate the restoration of Dutch independence and to honour Prince William Frederick of Orange. Altogether, The Hague is a delight to the traveller. Thackeray exclaimed over it, the brightest little brick city, with the pleasantest park to ride in, the neatest comfortable people walking about, the canals not unsweet, and busy and picturesque with life. Scheveninger. It might be Brighton or Margate, and except for the swarm of hooded beach chairs, it might be Coney Island, this popular seaside resort of Holland. Most of the features familiar to those who frequent the seacoast resorts of other lands are to be found at Scheveninger. There is the wide, gradually shelving beach, ceaselessly washed by the rolling surf, crowded with people of all ages and stations, bobbing in the water, frolicking on the beach, or sedately seated in the shaded chairs. Back on the beach runs the long line of hotels and cottages that we find at all great ocean resorts. The pleasure of playing on the seashore is much the same wherever humanity is found, and no matter what the locality may be, the pleasure in all places finds pretty much the same forms of expression. Scheveninger began its life as a fishing village away back in 1400. It is situated about three miles from The Hague and has been a bathing resort since 1815, growing in popularity and population until now the annual number of visitors is about 40,000, chiefly Dutch and German, but including also many Britons and Americans. The season runs from the 1st of June to the end of September, and, just as in the case of other summer resorts, its activities are at their height about the 1st of August. Aside from its many attractions as a summer resort, Scheveninger has some historic interest. 
it was from there that charles the second set sail when he returned to england to assume the crown at the time of the restoration this was in sixteen sixty thirteen years later that sturdy naval hero admiral de reuter engaged in a sea battle off scheveninger and there defeated the combined forces of france and england dutch country life and people for those who would know holland and the people no trip would be complete that merely included a few of the prominent cities take your pack if you care for tramping or engage a car if you prefer to ride you will find the roads good then go through the country and meet the people in their simplest condition the dutch farmer has not changed in several hundred years he is a thrifty contented individual and his life will interest you you will find the country families hospitable and you will learn much from them that the city hollanders have not told you as you go through the farm districts you will be impressed with the varied colour and the picturesque qualities of everything and though you may not be an artist you must in the course of a sojourn in holland feel the stir of art consciousness aptly indeed has holland been called a land of untouched pictures End of chapter 8. Recording by Deborah Baum, Cambridge.